I have a confession to make. And what's wonderful about this confession is that, honestly, I don't know if it's more embarrassing for myself or more embarrassing for my wife. Well, my boys a while back got this stuffed Mickey Mouse toy. And after they had it for a little while, I discovered that I could use it to creep out my wife. And so what I started doing is I would take him and I would make him talk and, Oh, hey Mickey, how you doing? Well, I'm doing fine. How are you all? Well, Mickey, we weren't really expecting you to join us for this because this is actually a sermon. You're not supposed to be joining us for sermons. I know, but I can do what I want. Well, Mickey's being a little bit demanding right now, and plus, I think he sees you. Mickey, what, why, are you, why are you staring at everybody like that? Like what? Like that? You know, Mickey, I, I think you're being a little bit distracting. Can you please get out of here? No! The reality is that things that are unusual and out of place can kind of disturb us a little bit. What do you say that that was unnatural and out of place? We've learned not to trust things that are unnatural and out of place. And today, we are going to be talking about the wicked serpent. The wicked serpent. So you probably already know where I am going with that title right there. Uh, and we are going to be talking about Genesis chapter 3. And it's in Genesis chapter 3 where a serpent, a snake, talks. Snakes have become a symbol that's representative of Satan. When you read the account in Genesis chapter 3, you can either choose to dismiss it as something that's mythical or legendary, or you can accept it for exactly what the Bible portrays it as, and that is historic truth that is meant to explain to us where death, suffering, sin, and even our need for a Savior comes from. In Genesis 3, there was a spiritual disturbance. An unseen entity invaded the physical world through a snake. Up to this point, everything God had made was good. Somehow, the serpent questioned Eve in an attempt to get her to sin. Something disrupted the paradise that God had created, and soon the created order would be spiraling out of control. We should not dismiss this story as something fictional or mythical, because later on in the Bible, in Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 and 2, it refers to this serpent as Satan. It foretells of an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil, or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. So there's a clear connection between the devil and the snake in Genesis chapter 3. Now, in general, it is impossible for animals to talk, but the Bible reveals that spiritual forces can enable animals the ability to talk to man. It creates open communication between man and beast. Now, before getting into my next comments, 
I do want us to acknowledge that indeed animals can communicate with one another and they can even communicate with humans. Think about it. Dogs. When they bark, that can mean a multitude of things. Sometimes it means to get away. Uh, when dogs wag their tails, that oftentimes means that they're happy and we understand that. Ants are able to touch their antennae and, and they're able to send chemical signals to one another to communicate. Bees will return to their hive and they'll do a dance inside of their nest to tell all the other bees where they found food. Gorillas can be taught sign language and we all know, for instance, when our pet happens to be hungry. Animals know how to communicate with us. There is just a barrier that prevents clear understanding and it is spiritual. In the story of Balaam and his donkey, that barrier was lifted. The story can be found in Numbers chapter 22. In this story, Balaam was commanded to speak blessings upon the nation of Israel by God. But Israel's enemy, the evil king Balak, wanted Balaam to speak curses against them. So Balaam was going to obey the king Balak. And so he got up on a donkey, started riding out to speak curses against Israel. But then an angel interfered and stood in his way. And it was going to strike him and his donkey down. But then all of a sudden the donkey was aware of the angel when Balaam was not. And then in Numbers 22, it says that God loosened the tongue of the donkey and it spoke to Balaam to warn him about the angel that was in front of them. There's another story in the Bible where the language barrier was lifted. And that can be found in Acts chapter 22. We call it the Pentecostal sermon. And it's essentially where the disciples start, that the Holy Spirit comes down upon the disciples and it causes them to speak and to preach. But there are people from 12 different nations gathered around them and they all hear the preaching of the gospel in their own languages. So this is what we call the gift of tongues. The Bible teaches that people used to speak a common language. And on the day of Pentecost, after the resurrection of Jesus, the language barrier was lifted temporarily so the gospel could be preached. It was actually at the Tower of Babel where the languages were divided. Because before that, people all spoke a common language, but instead of using it to glorify God, what they did is they spread their wicked ideas. So, when God saw this, he came down, he divided up their languages and dispersed people across the world so they could no longer dishonor his name and swell themselves up in pride and worship false gods. So why did mankind stray so far from this perfect relationship with God in the garden for the sake of pursuing idolatry? It all started with the serpent's words in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The serpent was more clever than any of the other animals. And mankind was not prepared for this rational attack against their faith, against God's word. And so they gave in to the temptation. But here's a question for you. Are you prepared? 
for rational attacks against your faith? Are you ready for the intelligent arguments that skeptics make against your faith? 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And so we see right there that, of course, the message of the cross to other people is going to sound foolish, and they're going to try to demean it as a result of that. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give reason for the hope that you have. And we know that the hope that we have can be found exactly in the cross. And so we need to be able to explain to people why we have hope inside of the cross, inside of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 10.13 encourages believers. It says, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted... He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Today in America, things have gotten pretty difficult for those who continue to walk in the Christian faith. There's a new movement that's called deconstruction that has infiltrated the church. In fact, people that were once great Bible teachers have bought into this deconstruction message. And as a result, they have started teaching it inside of their churches and leading people astray. Now, the message of deconstructionism is destructive to people's faith no matter what. Uh, Either it forces people to buy down and buy into a watered-down sort of Christianity. Lots of people have decided to buy into universalism instead of Christianity because it's just more convenient in light of this idea that certain ideas inside of the Bible aren't relevant to us anymore. Some people have renounced their faith altogether because of deconstructionism. And uh, other people, they don't know exactly what to make of it. They hold firm to their faith because they know that it's true. But on the same token, they're they're, they're having to withstand these attacks from their leadership inside their church. They're saying certain elements of the faith are not true. Well, the deconstructionist message is not what it seems. The claim is that it's based on empirical data, on historical evidence, but the reality is that's just not true. It's not based in reality or empiricism. It's actually agenda-based. That worldly movements are trying to find their way into the church to take over the church. Movements like the LGBT community, the critical race theory movement, and even radical environmentalists are trying to find their way to take over the church in different sorts of ways. And unfortunately, many church leaders have given in. The funny thing is, the Bible already provides the answer for all unity and all peace inside of the world. And that includes the solutions that these movements are supposedly trying to seek. But if you do not know what the Bible says, it opens up room for question. Did God really Say, the answer and solution for all peace and all the world's problems is Jesus. But the serpent beckons us to forget what we know and choose evil. Choose defiance against God instead of obedience to his word. God uses the unusual to get our attention. For Balaam, God used a talking donkey. On Pentecost... He used Galileans to save our lives. He used an instrument of death, the cross. 
if you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have been filled with the Holy Spirit. You have the ability to discern between good and evil and act according to your knowledge. The Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee. We can stand firm in our faith because we do know what God has said. My name is Bill Sang from Faith Presbyterian Church, and I'd like to thank you for joining me for today's message. Again, you can join us on Sunday mornings at 10.30 in the morning, and don't forget to like, share, and subscribe.